Welcome to Generation Travel Radio, where we share the stories of people from a diverse range of generations and backgrounds whose lives have been enriched academically, professionally, and personally by international experiences. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Generation Travel Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Davis, here with Erin Morris, and we're super excited today to bring on Paula Zhang. Paula and I met at NYU years ago, and I have been following her very interesting journey for the last many years. So I'm really excited that she is coming on to the show today to talk to us about that. To start us off, I'm going to have Paula tell us about all the languages she has dabbled in because it is just so many I can't even count and it's super impressive. So Paula, please tell us, I know French is one of them. What languages have you dabbled in? How did you even get started on this in the first place? So I have a whole list in front of me just so I don't forget anything. I'm going to go from in order of most advanced to least advanced. So I would say at an advanced level, I speak French, Bosnian, Croatian, Serbian, which is all the same language. They just have different names and Spanish. At the intermediate level, I've studied Catalan, Russian, Italian, Korean, and Chinese. And then at the elementary level, I've studied German and Uzbek. So I definitely want to clarify, I don't speak all of these languages fluently, but I'm definitely working really hard to up my proficiency. I've dabbled a little bit in some other languages, Turkish and Hungarian and Lithuanian, but to be honest, I don't speak any of those. They're just little things here and there that I remember, but I think learning languages is just a great way to sharpen your mind a little bit, communicate with other people. We've talked about this before, where sometimes learning languages can feel like a little game, a little challenge. And I think even if you're not someone who plans to travel a lot, or even if you're not someone who really loved learning languages in school, doing it on your own initiative in a way that's interesting to you, I think is a great way to just exercise your mind a little bit and give yourself the opportunity to learn something new and probably meet new people too. Lithuanian. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know you said you just dabbled in it, but I thought that was great. Yeah. And actually one of my friends from high school, his uh, stepdad is Lithuanian. So I like reconnected with that friend because I was, I'm taking a Lithuanian class right now. You know, would your stepdad be willing to tell me a little bit about his language and culture? And I think he was really excited to hear that someone from, you know, this area even knew what Lithuanian was and let alone wanted to hear more about it. So definitely it was a surprisingly good choice. <laughs> Those are really cool languages. I mean, I feel glad that I even know one other language, but I need to add more. But sometimes I'm like, man, I just need to practice my Spanish now, not learn another language. But I'm curious, being a lover of languages myself and now wanting to look up to you and to do the same thing, what led you to really loving those languages and wanting to study more? You know, the gamification, the competition of it, or was it travel or anything of that nature? And for yeah, context um, for our audience, because they didn't hear this part, we were talking about Duolingo and how they have kind of gamified the experience of learning languages. 
This is going to sound a little bit strange, but how I first got into languages was when I was 10 years old, I read this book series called Alex Rider, which was about a teenage spy and he was going around saving the world and sometimes using his language skills to blend into the communities. And when I was 10, that made a big impression on me. I want to save the world. I want to speak four languages, which is how many languages this character spoke. And so I was taking French when I was in fifth grade and I started working really hard in my French class. My best friend was Greek, so she taught me the Greek alphabet and some words. And I think that was the basis from which I discovered my passion for languages and for public service too. It started really young. I think it's very unusual for someone to know their path. Even when you're in college, you don't always know what you want. I feel like it was very unusual, but also very fortunate that I knew from a young age what I wanted to do. And it all started with this fictional teenage spy novel, but I think it made a huge difference because I now speak more languages than the character in the book. It's led me to a lot of great opportunities. Whenever I'm applying to opportunities to go abroad, such as Fulbright, I think about the place I was at when I first read those books and what my goals originally were and how I felt seeing that there are people out there using their language skills to make a difference in the world. Of course, I've expanded beyond teenage spy books now. I definitely have other motivations for learning languages, not least of all the people I've encountered in my travels and being able to speak their language. But that was really the start for me. And it's a story I love telling because it just shows that any small thing in your life can make such a huge difference. And there's no point in discounting something just because it's childish, just because it's stupid, because actually it can make a really big difference and really put you on the trajectory you're on. That's a fantastic story. I don't think it's strange at all. I love that it's connected to your reading of a book series that you loved. That's really awesome. I'm curious, I can't remember what you majored in at NYU. I majored in political science. I wanted to ask because I was in a German class with another student who was in Gallatin, which is the School of Individualized Study, and they make their own concentrations. And her concentration was languages. And she was just studying all these languages. It was just interesting to think about. What, Paula, do you, I'm curious to know what the most difficult language has been for you so far. I think there are two that come immediately to mind. One of them is Korean and one of them is Russian, but they were difficult for me in different ways. So I would say Korean was difficult for me on an emotional level. I feel like because it is one of the hardest languages in the world to learn and because I had spent so much time actually living in Korea on fully funded scholarships for the intensive study of the language, I felt like I was harder on myself whenever I didn't make progress as quickly as I thought I should. And so I think Korean was really difficult for me in terms of setting realistic expectations for myself, being gentle with myself, not being a perfectionist, and just enjoying the process of learning languages, which I think a lot of people I've talked to who have studied really difficult languages can relate to that. Because when you study a language like French or Spanish, not saying that either of those are easy languages, but they're a little bit closer to English, there's not a new alphabet. And so the progress you make is a little bit quicker. And I think going from that to studying a language that takes maybe literally 10 years to master, people have some difficulty adjusting to the fact that it's going to take a little bit more effort, a little bit more patience. And then Russian, it has also been a really hard language for me just because it has really complex grammar and vocabulary, which makes it an extremely rich language. That's why I love it. I think it's so much fun. 
but it's also really hard, in my opinion, to get to a high level. You really have to put in the hours remembering the vocabulary words, studying all the different roots and the different prefixes in order to get to a high level of it. So both of those languages have been super hard for me. You know, I've been studying them for a few years, but I'm, I would say I'm only at an intermediate level in both of them. But that's, you know, part of the fun is the challenge to push yourself to a new level and really improve on your abilities. And in terms of, I mean, I understand the difference between having a romance language versus any of the other languages that don't have the same alphabet and stuff. I just think of the first time I even went to Greece and I was on the bus from the airport and I realized, oh my God, yeah, they have a different alphabet. Like I can't just read the signs here. I, I had forgotten because I was so used to traveling to all these countries. Well, studying abroad and yeah I didn't know the language but I, you could kind of figure things out and there I was I literally have no idea what those letters mean let alone trying to learn the language it was just even looking at signs but I know you also have your blog that I've read some of so that's been really interesting to hearing about the language classes that you've taken and I hear that you post frequently about your stories on Facebook and elsewhere about the conversations you've had with different people and I even read on your blog about like running into or people hearing you speaking a language or something you hearing them speaking language and approaching them which I think is great even to do in your local community that has a broad range of speakers from other countries or, or heritage speakers of that nature. So I'm curious, do you have any favorite stories like that that you would mind sharing with us? Or even while you were abroad where something happened and they were just surprised to see you being somebody that they could communicate with and what did that evolve into? Yeah, there's definitely a few stories that come immediately to mind when you bring up that question. The first one is a really short one, but I think it just shows that language is about communication and that there's no need to be a perfectionist because you just want to make sure people understand you. So when I arrived in Uzbekistan, my Russian was not very good. And we were at the hotel and I had picked up this apricot, but I wasn't sure if it'd been washed. I didn't know like if it was clean to eat. And I forgot how to say the word for clean. And so I just turned to the guy working at the hotel and I was at the fruit, the primimala douche, which means did this fruit take a shower? And he thought that was so funny, but you know, I was like a little bit embarrassed at first. I was like, oh, why did I just say that? I don't even know if he understood what I meant, but he did. He was like, yes, it's clean. It's been washed. And so I think that was a really good moment that taught me, you know, I don't need to know every single vocab word. I don't need to beat myself up over not knowing a simple word like clean, because if you just circumvent it a bit and find a different way to say the same thing, even if it's a little bit funny, even though I somehow remembered how to say take a shower, but I didn't remember how to say clean, people will get you. And I think they'll really appreciate that you even made an effort. I think for anyone out there who's learning a language and maybe struggling with it, you do not have to be perfect with it. You know, people just want to see the effort. People just need to be understood. And I think if you find another way to say the same thing, even if you can't think of the exact word or phrase on the spot, you're still going to be able to make those connections with people. And it'll also probably be kind of funny and you just got to be willing to laugh at yourself. Like I definitely had to in that moment. That is an excellent answer to like some sort of interview question. I feel like <laughs> working and study abroad, the question is always like, how do we get students to, you know, exemplify what their experiences abroad have really taught them. And that's like the perfect example of problem solving and, you know, <laughs> having courage and taking risks and just going for it. But it's also such a sweet story, I think, in terms of thinking about really how, how people can connect. And, you know, we might be different and whatnot, but 
to be able to communicate still in some way, despite speaking different languages and whatnot, I think is so cool. I'm curious to know, you've talked a lot about how learning a language can be important for, for you as an individual, any person, but what is maybe sort of the broader importance of learning languages, especially as we see English is a very commonly spoken language. I think it's important for people to understand that the global language can fluctuate over time. I don't know if that's something we'll see with English or not. You know, maybe if the United States and its quote unquote might in the world de-escalates, another country, you know, expands and becomes a more of a more of a superpower. And I I, I know you you both are aware of this. I'm just sort of giving some contextual background, like how French used to be the the world languages, so to speak, where where they had influence, of course, in Europe and whatnot. So thinking about that, what would you say is the importance behind trying to learn at least one other language? I genuinely believe that uh, learning languages is one way to make the world a more peaceful place. I think there are so many aspects to each individual language, even each dialect within a language that reveals something about the people who speak them. Not only that, but just giving yourself the opportunity to speak to X amount of people that you would have never had the opportunity to talk to otherwise, I think is something really beautiful. Something I often think about is I randomly took Catalan my last semester of college. I wasn't originally planning on taking it, but it just so happened that it fit in my schedule and the other class I was planning to take didn't end up working with my schedule. And I walked into it thinking like, oh, like another romance language, you know, I really want to try something new. I didn't think I would really like the class or have that much fun with it, but it ended up changing my life. My Catalan teacher is now one of my trusted friends. And I was vacationing in Boston in 2019 and we were just at a random restaurant in Chinatown and I heard this family speaking Catalan. And so I turned to them and I was like, which means like, are you speaking Catalan? And they were so shocked and they were like, how do you know Catalan? Like, where, who are you? But we ended up becoming really good friends with that. from that. At that point, my Catalan wasn't even that good. But I think the fact that I spoke this language that not many people knew about, that I was even making an effort and wanted to try out my Catalan skills with them, I think meant a lot to them. And so actually, every time I go to Barcelona now, I stay with them. I'm a part of the family now, which is really nice. They speak fluent English, but I don't think I would have been a part of their family the way I am now if I hadn't made the effort to speak their language. And even when I think about it, usually when I'm with them, like we do speak English just because as I mentioned, they're fluent and it just makes more sense. But I think that initially making that effort and showing that I had an interest in their culture, I think was something that really made an impression on them. And so I really think that learning languages is important because it shows you a whole nother perspective. It shows other people that you're willing to meet them halfway where they're at, instead of expecting them to speak your language, you're really bridging that. And you know, learning a language is not easy. And when people see that you're making the effort, that you're willing to take the time to learn about them, speak to their hearts, as Nelson Mandela said, that really makes an impression that is hard to forge if you didn't speak their language. Oh my gosh, I've got chills and I'm like <laughs> tearing up over here, <laughs> which is probably a little dramatic, but it like it warms my heart a lot. Also, keep dropping those, you know, language bits because it is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to do that. 
It makes me really think of my experience about one of them. Uh, it resonates with me, what you're, I guess I should say. But what it made me think of is the fact that because of my language skills, I was able to have an internship, let's say, abroad, but it was with a marginalized community. It was kind of in an area of the city I was living in that you wouldn't go to necessarily on a regular basis, even if you were a local there, let alone work in the school there. And I know that you've had a variety of experiences being a Fulbright ETA and then also doing the French kind of English teaching program. But I'm wondering through all of your languages and those experiences too, were you able to get access to these communities that you wouldn't necessarily have been involved with before beyond being a tourist that even spoke the language? So, you know, if you're in Barcelona and you can speak Catalan, that's great. You can get into restaurants, you can do a lot of things and maybe have a little bit easier of a time. But what type of experiences, if any, have you had that have been like, wow, I really wouldn't have been able to have this or have learned this lesson if I didn't know this language because they wouldn't accept me because they're not, this isn't a tourist thing. Yeah. For example. Yeah. When I was in Uzbekistan, I volunteered at a local organization that was basically combating human trafficking. But to do that, they were providing these job skills, life skills classes to at-risk high school girls who are at risk of human trafficking in terms of they came from less economically advantaged families. And girls from those families sometimes find themselves in situations where their families actually sell them off to someone to marry because they need the money. And so these classes were for the purpose of teaching them some skills economic skills so that they were able to enter the job market and decrease the chance of that happening. So I ended up teaching them like an English class. And I don't think I would have been able to do that. And I don't think they would have gone as well as they did if I didn't know some Russian and Uzbek, because these girls, of course, didn't know any English. They didn't really have a background in American culture. They weren't really exposed to those kinds of things. And I think meeting them halfway, you know, my Uzbek was not great. My Russian was not that great either. But I think just even making an effort to translate some of the things I was saying in English to ask them every day how they were in Uzbek or Russian gave me kind of an in with them that I, a level of comfort with them that I don't think I would have had if I just came in only speaking English and not trying to understand who they were as people through their own language. So that's an opportunity that I'm really grateful for. I'm really grateful that they welcomed me and wanted to take my class. Yeah, I don't think that opportunity would have come to me if I didn't know a, a bit of Uzbek. And I think going back to what I was saying earlier, my Uzbek was at an elementary level. It still is, but you don't have to be fluent in a language for it to make a difference for you or for other people, especially with some of these languages that are less commonly spoken. People just want to see that you're trying and that you're interested. So you don't have to be a perfectionist about, oh, well, I can't do X, Y, and Z because I'm not fluent in French or I don't speak very good Russian. Usually just having a base knowledge can get you farther than you might think it would. So I have a feeling that people are probably wondering by now, like, okay, she learned Uzbek, why? And we might have mentioned it, but if you want to, because I know that there are a lot of programs that you have taken part in, would you be able to list those out for people? Because I, I think it would just be useful for people to know, you know, some of these are state sponsored and some of them are just classes you can take. But for people to know what's out there and how what kinds of opportunities they can take advantage of, I mean, imagine it's kind of a long list, but if you can even give us some of the highlights. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go over the main ones, the ones that I've done. So through the State Department, there are actually a lot of educational and cultural exchange programs that U.S. citizens 
and citizens abroad actually can apply to. So when I was in high school, I did the National Security Language Initiative for Youth. I know it's kind of a long name. And that was how I was able to study in Korea for the first time. It was six weeks intensive language program. We lived with a host family. And then when I was in college, I did the Critical Language Scholarship, which is basically the same program as the high school one. It's just eight weeks and it's for college students, graduate and undergraduate. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're doing your master's or PhD, you can definitely still apply to the Critical Language Scholarship. I did the Korean program again. And then after college, I was a Fulbright English teaching assistant in Uzbekistan. So that's how I found myself learning Uzbek. And I think honestly, the combination of learning Catalan my last year of college and then Uzbek while I was in Uzbekistan got me interested in more niche languages, quote unquote. So that's how I found myself this past year during the pandemic. I didn't have a job for a while and I was just at home. So I did through the American Council's program, their Bosnian, Croatian, Serbian program. There's actually really generous scholarships and funding, including from the State Department for those programs. And for the moment, they're all online. So wherever you are in the world, you can do these classes. They're much cheaper now because they're online. And as I mentioned, there are really good scholarships for it. So I would definitely recommend that for anyone who's looking to get really good at a language in a short amount of time, because classes, depending on if you decide to do the classes full-time or part-time, they're eight to 16 hours a week. And so you're really getting that immersion experience, even just from everything being through Zoom or online. That's awesome. Have you been to Bosnia? I've never been to Bosnia. Just to hype up the American Council's program a little bit, you know, I've never been to Bosnia. I've never been to the Balkans, actually. I had only studied the language for, I want to say, six months. But when I took a speaking proficiency exam, I got a score of advanced mid, which is the third to highest score that you can get. So it goes from like novice low all the way to advanced high, and then they're superior. And I got advanced mid. This is not to brag about myself. This is to brag about American councils and how great their programs are. So I would definitely say if you're looking to get really good at a language in a short amount of time, although I will say it is a lot of work, it is a big time commitment during that short amount of time, I would definitely recommend those programs. And if you go to the State Department's website, there are all all this information about the different scholarships they offer. There's so many opportunities out there, and I would really encourage people to apply to them. Now, a quick question I have for you, actually two. One, do you have on your blog posts about how you applied for scholarships or anything like that as a resource for any of our students that might be listening? I don't. No, okay. But now I'm thinking that I should. (laughs) Yeah, I know I would have loved that because I always found applying for scholarships externally to your university or whatever difficult, but I guess I never really dove into the State Department ones, which I should have. I just didn't have exposure to those. So that's a great thing. And then also going back to your local area coming, you know, back domestically to the U.S., and Serbian, Bosnian, all of that as one language. I thought that's so cool because again, even though you're learning this virtually, you can't do it. It's like, even if you're out at the store or something, there's a potential in certain cities in the US to run into these languages that are niche, like you said. And again, if you're in other parts of the United States or in other countries that aren't where they speak that language natively, you could still run into it. So it's really cool to see how you can still use those skills you're learning, even though you're like, I've never actually been to the country. It's still worthwhile in the end, in my opinion. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I My first encounter with a Serb after I had started studying the language was I was just on a run 
and I heard someone playing Sevdalinka music from a boombox, which Sevdalinka is the traditional Balkan music. And so I just approached the guy, I was, are you Serbian? And so we started talking and he said he would invite me to their next barbecue that they were doing. There's a cafe in my hometown that I go to like every single day and I run into Serbian people there all the time because there's actually like some kind of school for priests, for Serbian Orthodox priests, like right around the corner from the cafe. And so I'm constantly running into them. You know, I've become friends with them now. They've invited me to their church so that I can look at their library, speak some Serbian, learn more about their religion and their culture. And then at work where I'm working right now, one of my coworkers is actually Serbian. So whenever we're at the office and we got some gossip to talk about, we just do it in Serbian. No one knows what we're saying, although they can probably tell from like our tones of voice what we're talking about. But yeah, definitely, Erin, you're totally right. There's a big Serbian community here. I always, I like tell my friends, even though my Serbian classes were online, I still got the full immersion experience because I would walk out my door and run into like five Serbian people at the cafe, at the office, in the park. So yeah, really, really amazing. And it makes me love Chicago even more. Just, and you can do it in New York, Boston, yeah. LA, so many different places, but it just, again, exemplifies the melting pot that that is America. And especially right now, we're trying to emphasize the fact that even though we can't go far, even maybe outside of our state or wherever, you still can find those immersion experiences or experiences virtually or safely in person, but without going very far. So I'm glad to hear that you've been able to do that yourself. Definitely. I am also excited for you to go to those places for the first time. <laughs> so beyond just your experiences and finding, you know, those communities in the United States even and doing them virtually, when you were able to be abroad and meet all of these different people from your language skills, I'm wondering, you obviously made these connections like this essential host family that you've had when you go to Barcelona from meeting them in Boston, which is amazing. But how has your network expanded? And maybe how do you think that will impact you not only just personally, but professionally in the future or hope that it will at least? Yeah, I think in both a personal and professional way, my network has been really expanded by the fact that I've done these like State Department programs, specifically language programs. Just on a personal level, I've run into people from this community in random places around the world. I remember I was flying from JFK to Frankfurt just for a layover and I got off the plane and I hear behind me, Paula? And I turn around and it was this girl that I knew only from Facebook. We had never met in real life before, but she did the same program that I did through the State Department. And so we were just Facebook friends through the alumni network. And that was something that I was, oh my gosh, how am I running into someone from the internet at an airport in Frankfurt? And then it's happened multiple other times. I was in Skopje, North Macedonia, and I was just walking on the street at night after dinner and I ran into someone else that I knew through the alumni network. So I think in a personal way, it's come up really often, but also in a professional way, I feel like there are ways that I can meet up with people that maybe I wouldn't have the opportunity to otherwise. So for example, there's a State Department exchange program called FLEX that brings people from the former Soviet Union to study for a year in the US. And so last year, actually a year ago today, I was in Tallinn in Estonia and I wanted, I didn't want my trip to just be a vacation. I actually wanted to, you know, do something related to my interests, to my career interests. And so I just emailed the Flex Alumni Association in 
Estonia and I was, you know, I would love to hear about your experiences in America and what you guys are all up to after the program. And so we organized this kind of networking lunch and talked about what we've been up to since our State Department programs, what they thought about America, how they brought what they learned in America back to their home country of Estonia. And that's something I don't think I would have been in a position to do without my experiences, without this network. The same thing happened when right after Estonia, I went to Tunisia. And when I was there, I went to the U.S. Embassy's American Corner and I gave some presentations, one about politics, one about writing. And I think that those were opportunities that I wouldn't have necessarily had if I wasn't connected to these programs, if I wasn't known for being someone that was really dedicated to public diplomacy, intercultural exchange, language learning. You know, these were just vacations. I was in Estonia and Tunisia for vacation, basically, but I was also able to do things that I think fulfilled me and hopefully other people in a professional way. Yeah, that's something that I think is really great. And so now whenever I travel to a new country, obviously I can't right now, but in the future, my plan is to do this kind of stuff with every country I travel to. You know, I don't want it to just be some rest and relax kind of thing. Like I would love to be able to meet up with other alumni from the community, other interesting people who are making change in their country. Yeah, maybe link up with the U.S. Embassy's cultural office so that I can give some presentations, do some activities with people who go to the embassy's cultural spaces, the American corners and the American centers. And I think that's a really great thing, a beautiful thing that this community has given me that I don't know if I would have even thought to do these kinds of things if not for the experiences I've had. I think that's great too, thinking that there's a way to go to a country and have vacation, right? But then I think that something that people are really grappling with when we think about like sustainability and tourism, and, and I don't mean just environmentally, but from the mind almost, or whether it, it's sound holistically, there's this kind of concept that when we're tourists, we go somewhere and it's like we're taking in a way, but but how do you, how are you able to like give back and how do you engage in a way that that's positive, relaxing, but also just going to bolster your understanding of the world and people's understanding of you, that sort of thing. And so I think that I love that you talk about how you go and you engage with these people who are in your network, because it, it also gives you these opportunities to get to know the places a little bit better, you know, not stick to the main things that most people would see, but go to a cafe or something like that, that you otherwise would not have known of. And that's where you get to have more of those interactions that are more local and true to kind of the culture of, of the place. And I think this is a really excellent transition point to thinking, what is Paula going to do with all of these languages and aspirations? What is your hope moving forward? And, and what is your personal mission, would you say? kind of going back to what you were saying about giving back to communities that you're in. I think everyone has their own skill set to contribute to the world. And I think for a while growing up, I kept thinking things like, why don't I know how to do that? Or why am I not good at this? Instead of thinking, wait, I have this unique skill set, you know, maybe with languages, maybe with connecting with people that I can use to help make the world a better place. And so I think right now I might not have very well defined what exactly I want to do with my languages, but I definitely know I want to go into public service and international education. My dream would be to be a diplomat, a foreign service officer with the U.S. Department of State, but I also 
am really open to working with international education organizations with the implementation of other State Department exchange programs that I know have changed my life and the lives of so many people I've encountered. It's something I always say to my friends is that I think it's really important that we pass the mic to other people to speak instead of just making things about ourselves. And maybe it goes a little bit contradictory to this whole, you know, podcast episode because we are talking about me. But I think part of the reason why I like learning languages too is because then I can understand what other people are saying. And so I want to pass the mic. I want them to speak for themselves instead of me speaking for them. And I think that's one way that I would really like to use my language skills is to just instead of having these people learn English so they can express themselves, I would like to meet them where they're at with their language and learn more about them and help in any way I can. And I think a big part of that is knowing their language and understanding their culture. So that's my personal goal in terms of that. Definitely a reflection on the generation, millennials, Gen Zs wanting to have their professional lives also reflect their personal mission. I think that's where Kelly and I also got this idea because we know people in this field, even beyond those generations, always were kind of a little bit more niche in the fact that I feel like most of them got into it because they might have been the outliers in their generation that also were like, you know, I want to have this personal mission extended into my professional life. But I totally get that. And I definitely see with all your experience, your trajectory towards potentially becoming a diplomat or being in the foreign service, definitely an exciting potential career path out there for you. And all the experience you get, I'm sure will add up to, to something great like that in the future. And beyond your personal mission, and now that we've heard about where you've been and what type of experience you've had, I'm curious overall, how would you describe yourself to our audience, including your personal mission and how you've changed because of these experiences that you have had? I think first and foremost, I would describe myself as a really sentimental person. And I think that's actually what's made me so successful with language learning is because I've attached meaning with every conversation I've had with people, with every country I've visited, every language I've studied. And I think that's like a huge part of who I am. And that's why I find myself caring about these places of the world that some people might have never heard about. Because once I have that first encounter with it, it's something that stays in my heart. And so being sentimental, I feel like doesn't always have a really positive connotation. But I think I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without it, especially when we think about how it was a book that I read when I was 10 years old that started this entire journey. I don't think it would have made the impact it did. It wouldn't have led me on this wonderful journey if I hadn't been a little bit sentimental and thought, you know, even though I read it when I was 10, I think it's something that still has importance in my life. I'm actually rereading it right now. And side note, it's really cool because they slip in all these languages in the books. Throughout the books, they'll have like a sentence in French or Russian or Italian. And obviously when I was 10, I didn't understand what any of those sentences meant. But now that I've studied all those languages, I'm reading the books and I was like, wait, I understand this. Or even like, hey, that's a mistake. It should be this and not that. So I think that's really cool, like a really interesting way to see how I've changed using the very thing that was a catalyst for all of this. I would definitely also say that I'm brave, which is not a word I think I would have ever before used to describe myself. I'm actually such a scaredy cat. Growing up, my friends always made fun of me because I was the one that I was scared of doing everything. I didn't want to take risks. And I'm still very much that person now. But I think despite how scared I am of everything, I think I've pushed myself. You know, I've lived in countries that I 
maybe wasn't very familiar with. I've like got on my own to pursue my goals and do the things that were calling to me. And you don't have to be brave in the conventional sense of maybe, you know, you don't have to be like some super strong buff person, super adventurous who skydives and jumps off cliffs uh, to be defined as brave. I think bravery is just doing something despite having fear of it. And I really want to encourage people, you know, a lot of things that have to do with language learning is pretty scary because you're putting yourself out there, you're making mistakes, but I think you'll find from doing it over and over again that it's actually not that scary and that the rewards of just taking the risk are greater than any kind of fear you have. I still will not skydive, but I will move to Uzbekistan. I will learn a really difficult language. I will make a fool of myself if it means I'm going to grow from it. That is so full circle. I love that, that you're rereading it and now you can understand the languages. And obviously you've proven to yourself that you're brave, just like that spy, even though you might not be doing spy work, you're still (laughs) able to really put yourself out there. And that's what we want our audience to do. If they're students or even professionals, always put yourself out there to build that community, to see what experiences you can have interculturally, if that's domestic or abroad. We really appreciate you being on the show. This has been a really great opportunity to learn more, especially about the different things that the State Department offers to our language learners, cultural learners, or anyone else out there that's just interested in intercultural exchange. So thank you for bringing that expertise. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me as a guest. I think what you guys are doing is really great, especially, you know, you're both in the international education field. And I think this is actually literally a way of educating people about what's out there internationally, the opportunities they have. I would definitely be open to, if anyone's listening to this and curious about any of the programs I've mentioned or anything at all, I would be happy to answer the questions. I'm so grateful you all have had me on the show today. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please give us a like or a rating on your favorite podcast platform. You can also join the conversation on our website listed on our anchor page or in the show notes. We hope that the stories you heard today have inspired you and helped you to think about what intercultural experiences you'll seek next. We are Generation Travel Radio. Keep thinking globally. Globally.